This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them. I've got a couple quick announcements for everybody. And actually, uh, Phil is here to share about tonight and where he could use your help. Good morning. How are y'all today? I got a little energetic, didn't I? Too much coffee this morning. Sorry, I'm not here to be a comedian. Uh, Tonight, uh, I'm Phil. I'm the technical director here. So if it's too loud in the auditorium, that's my fault. Tonight, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing uh, something downtown with the city to uh, for the lighting of the Christmas tree down at the Crowded Terry Hotel. Uh, we're going to actually at eight o'clock play the largest game of Tetris you've ever seen with ten thousand pounds worth of sound equipment. We would love your help. So what we're going to do is all of our crew is going to be loading up all day. After we get done loading, they're going to be singing and all that type of stuff tonight. So. When we get done at 8 o'clock, I would love some fresh hands that are ready to come down there and help us get all of this stuff put back inside of the trailer. Um, if you are willing and able to, we'd love to have you at 8 o'clock at the Craddock Terry Hotel. Uh, can, can they see you if they need directions? Um, I, I can text out info. Okay. Sorry, we, we're really prepared for this announcement. So, <laughs> so um, if you want to come out, please, we'd love to have your help. Um, put everything back into the um, church, and then we can go on our ways. So if you're willing to help, we'd love to have your help. If you have friends that are not here today, but they are looking for something to do at night, come on down and we'll play Tetris together. Thank you all very much. Thanks so much, Phil. Uh, There's a reason specifically that for this, this is an event for the whole city of Lynchburg, and uh, after Pastor Nathan's message this morning, Pastor Rob was pushing coming to this. This is an opportunity to uh, to be a light among people that aren't coming to a church service. And uh, I'd encourage you to be there and be a part of that if you can. And if you're able to stick around after and help haul some equipment, I know Phil would definitely appreciate that. So uh, I'll send a text reminder uh, this afternoon. And then if you have any more questions about that, Phil's email address is here, or you can talk to Hunter or Dave or, uh, or me, and we should be able to get you connected with somebody with more information. Okay, what else am I announcing this morning? There we go, hey, so if you are gonna be out for a little while or if you've been out for a little while and you wanna catch some of the messages that you've missed, you can always search for our podcast on Spotify. Uh, The video of a lot of these is streamed to the Facebook group but not a lot of people uh, of your age group use Facebook, I understand that. So uh, that is an option, or you can listen to some messages on Spotify. Um, If you want to fill in some of the gaps, if you were here for most of a series, and you're like, oh, man, what did they have to say about uh, verse 9 that I really wanted some more info on? Uh, That'd be a great way to check out some more info about what was spoken in here in a week that you weren't here. Yeah, there's it's uh, it's all over the place because, you know, podcast. Yep. Awesome. And then uh, CrossCon registration still open. Uh, I believe that's ending here soon. Uh, Hunter, how many spots are still left for that? We have four. We have a room of four for the 
So there's a guy room that's partially open, a girl room that's completely open, and a poor room that has no identity currently. <laughs> so it, if, uh, if you'd like to go to CrossCon, if you're available then, I definitely encourage you to check it out. It is an awesome opportunity to just be in a room of thousands of people that all have the same goal of seeing the name of Christ be made known among the nations. And there's lots of people there that are interested in missions, but have no idea if that's something that they're going to do with their life. Um, so if you uh, are interested in missions and think that might be something you're going to do, or you're interested in missions and aren't sure what that might look like for your life, or you're interested in, like Pastor Nathan was saying this morning, being a very intentional sender here, I would encourage you to check out CrossCon. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it was a great experience when I was able to go a couple years ago. So I definitely encourage you to check that out. And then uh, men's conference registration is still open. The price for that goes up December 15th. So if you're not registered yet, if you're interested in doing that, remember it has never been cheaper. If for uh, like college students, you can talk to Hunter for a discount. And then even for not college students, there's never been cheaper options than the, the options that are available to go for this year. So I'd encourage you to check that out as well. Uh, HBCLynchburg.com slash men has more information for a lot of that also. Okay, I am gonna open us up in prayer and hand things over to Ben. Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we just have to be together as bearers of your glory and contemplate what it might look like to share that glory among more people. Lord, we do not want to hold that within ourselves. We want to share it to people that you may be more glorified. Lord, may our ends be your glory, and may that be reflected in everything we do. Lord, I just pray that you would give Ben your words to share with us this morning, and that you would help us to set aside distractions, help us to set aside all of the busyness of life that we could focus on this morning, and just open our hearts and hear your word, and that we might treasure that with us uh, for uh, opportunities to share it later. Thank you for all that you are, Lord, and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Is this on? Perfect. Good to have all of you here today. The orange and them too. Um, we are going to be in Ephesians 2. Today. So if you want to start heading there, we can get started. When, how many of you help out with any of the children's ministry here? Does anybody? Okay. So when I was in fifth grade, Carl and Denise Mitchell challenged us to memorize scripture. And they said, if you will memorize scripture, we will take you to wild waters. And I really wanted to go to wild waters. Always wanted to go to, we'd drive by it on the freeway, and I'd always ask my parents, if my parents are here today, if we could go to Wild Waters, and be like, no, we can't. So Carl and Denise Mitchell said that they would take us, we memorized scripture. And we were in Ephesians 6, and there was a couple passages that they had us memorize, and I think it was two passages, and I memorized them, and I'm, I'm trying to, to earn my spot. And um, then we, we took a, a family trip to Oregon, and before we left to go to Oregon, I wasn't quite sure what the rest of the passages were. So I, I just went back to Ephesians 6.1, and I just started memorizing. I sat in the backseat of my car, my parents' car, and I memorized all of Ephesians 6, that, that, 
drive to Oregon. So it was eight hours, and I just sat there and memorized Scripture. And that passage of Scripture has sunk into my life throughout my life. It, it really has become something that I have marinated in. You know, I was fifth grade, and here are these, these, this couple who are investing in fifth graders. And that investment that they made then is still bearing fruit in my life now. And so when I work, I hear the words of Ephesians 6, and it says, work as if you were, not serving the, or as if you were serving the Lord and not men, not trying to earn the favor of the people watching you as, as eye-pleasers, but earning the favor of Christ, doing the goodwill of Christ from your heart. And so that stuck with me in my kind of my theology of work. Uh, Ephesians 6 17 has stuck with me, and I, maybe 619, sorry, um, and every time I teach here, I read this and I pray this, and so I'm going to read it and pray it. Pray also for me that words will be given to me, that whenever I open my mouth, I will boldly proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. And so please pray that with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that today, as we open Ephesians 2, that I would boldly proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. I pray for those listening here today that they would hear with the grace of your spirit the truths that you want to impart to them as they recognize who they are, who they are in Christ and what Christ has done for them as he has reconciled them to the Father. Lord, I thank you so much for just this opportunity and I ask that your your name and your fame will be lifted high today here. In your name, amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Ephesians 2 today. And, and for those of you who have not totally followed what we're doing, we're, we spent September in Ephesians 1 and October in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And now we're spending November in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And so the first week, Larissa and I weren't here, and so I think Hunter led a discussion on this, and you kind of just dug deep into it. Then last week, Dave taught, and he did kind of an exposition of it. And my charge was to find something topical within this passage and jump off, which is super fun to do, but it's also like I, I can talk on anything. And so as I marinated in this passage... I really just wrestled with what do I say, what do I say, what do I say? Well, in order to know what to say, it's best to know what is being said. And so I'm going to kind of do what Dave did last week. So in a sense, those of you who are here last week, you're going to hear another message on Ephesians 2. And to some extent, I apologize for that because I, I don't want you to feel like we're redundant here. In other ways, I don't apologize for that because the word proclaimed can encourage and equip you for the work that the Lord has for you, even if you've heard it twice in a row. And, and I hope what to do is I hope to model for you how I have approached the studying of this text. So knowing that I was going to be on this passage, I had an idea of where I wanted to go. And so about three, four weeks ago when I started prepping, I, I, I had an idea of where I wanted to go. And as I read it, I was like, this has nothing to do with the passage. This is where I want to go, Lord. I read it some more, and it says nothing to do with the passage, so I read it some more, and so then I just started taking notes, and I started just writing out my questions, and I would read this passage and, and write out questions, and I had a lot of questions, because I, I think the passage is, is kind of murky, 
on your first three or four or five reads. What is Paul really trying to say here? And so what I hope to do today is I hope to kind of process you through my thinking so that you then are equipped to think about Scripture in similar ways in your own study. I often, so I, I've grown up in the church, and uh, often I think if we read Scripture and we don't understand it within the first 30 seconds, we grow discouraged by our lack of understanding. And what I have realized as I've gotten older is that Scripture is this well you get to dig in and pull out of, but this well is deep. And, and sometimes, sometimes it's a surface well and you can get a little bit of water up at the top, but other times it's, it's this deep, rich well, and you gotta, you gotta put that, that bucket down low to draw out. And so that's what we're gonna be doing today. I, I want, as I was prepping yesterday, I, I wrote out three goals that I have for you. And so the first goal is I, I wanna give you a lens of the gospel. I want you to see the gospel in Ephesians 2. So what I've titled this is The Gospel According to Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Second, as I give you the lens of the gospel, I also don't want to forsake raising high Christ. And, and Nathan talked about that in his, in his sermon today, but to preach Christ and preach the cross. I don't want to forget and, and just focus on neat, interesting ideas about history or context and forget Christ. Spurgeon has this to say. He said, sooner by far would I go to a bare table and eat from a wooden porringer, something that would appease my appetite, than I would go to a well-spread table on which there was nothing to eat. Yes, it is Christ, Christ, Christ whom we have to preach. And if we leave him out, we leave out the very soul of the gospel. Christless sermons make a merriment for hell. And going on, he said, a sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. You don't have to flip over to 1 Corinthians uh, 1, but in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in response to uh, uh, some conversations and letters that they had exchanged, and, and he is telling them his, his philosophy of ministry, and his philosophy of ministry is to preach the gospel. In verse 17, he, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. In 18, he says that the word of the cross is the power of God to those who believe. In 21, he says the folly of what we preach will save those who believe. And in 23, he says we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Gentiles. So my goal is that you would, that I would give you lenses to see the gospel, that I would preach Christ, and that I would make much of what the text makes much of. And so that's kind of my introduction. And so here's my big idea, if you uh, want to write that down. The big idea is believers are created new in Christ. And from this, we have everything. Believers are created new in Christ, and from this we have everything. Now, I sent Seth a PowerPoint so he could kind of follow along, and I saw you last night I sent it late, and then I never opened my email, so it never actually left my computer. So there are no notes to, to follow along with. But what I'd like to do to start off with is I would like for you to, and as you read through this, I would like for you to highlight any words that are repetitive or circle any 
statements that are repetitive. I want you to kind of see the scope of what Paul is doing, and then I will read it also. Okay, let's bring it back. How many of you, as you read through, just felt like that saying with clarity? Anybody? All right. Hey, Jimmy. As I was reading through, uh, I made my kids, we get up in the morning, and before we get ready for school, we, we spend some time in the Word as family. And um, I told Reagan I was teaching today in Converge, and she goes, well, what are you teaching on? I said, Ephesians 2. And she smiled because we've been in Ephesians 2 for the last, like, 15 days, partly because I've been trying to figure out what is it saying here. And so she was happy that next week we get to go on to Ephesians 3. Um, as I was working through this passage, a couple things stood out to me, but it took lots of reading as I dug into it. And so that what stood out to me first was in verse 13, it says we were far off. And in verse four, no, 17, it says we were far off. Then the, the word strangers in verse 12 stood out to me. 
and the word strangers in verse 19 stood out to me. And, and what I started to see is that, 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 that Paul is structuring this passage to say something unique and, and intentionally specific. But if you just read it once, you don't get it. And so what I hope to encourage you throughout your life that as you sit and marinate in the word, that you truly do marinate in the word, and it takes time to do that. And Seth, can you put up the picture that, that I had you take a picture of? So because I don't have my, my PowerPoint, uh, Seth took a picture of my notes, and so here are my notes. And so I'm going to just explain what I think this passage is doing, and then we're going to walk through the passage. This is a chiastic structure, a chiasm, and so it looks a little bit like an X. So if you go here and then here, it's an X. And so it's a literary technique that, that Paul is using to make clear what he wants to emphasize in this passage. When I was teaching on Ephesians 2.10 a couple weeks ago, um, it says we are created because God's workmanship. And as I was reading a commentary on that, it said, well, this highlights the, the, the main point he wants to bring out in verse 15. And so I read verse 15, I thought, how is that a main point? It just seems like an ancillary point. But when you see the, the chiastic structure here, you begin to see what Paul is trying to do. And so verse 11 is pointing to 12, which is pointing all the way here to this kind of central statement that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. And so this whole section is highlighting this as the main idea. And so if we look at verse 15, we're going to see what I, what I stated earlier, the big idea of the passage. The big idea of the passage is that believers are created new in Christ. You can keep that up, Seth, actually. Um, believers are created new in Christ, and from this we have everything. And so as I walk through this passage, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of walk through it organizationally in a weird way. So instead of working with verse 11 and working my way down through verse 22, we're going to start right there at the beginning at verse 15, the main idea that Paul has for you, and then we're going to work outward in our arrow. You kind of see that as an arrow. And so the, the title of this is that is the gospel according to Ephesians 2. And here we go. The gospel according to Ephesians 2 is that we are a new creation made in Christ, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, that he might create. Who's doing the creating in that statement? Not a hard question. God, okay. Martin Luther, throughout his life, throughout his early life and his young adult life and his life as a monk, he wanted to create a path and a way to God because he knew that he could not measure up, that there was a measure and a standard of excellence and holiness and righteousness, and he could not get there. And it wasn't until Luther realized that the we're justified by faith, that God himself does the righteousness for us, that he creates in himself, inside of Christ, one new man in place of the two. We look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that we're a new creation in Christ. And so Paul's central message here is that God does the work of salvation. So if we're trying to say, what is the gospel lens that we're putting on as we try to understand Ephesians 2? God does the work in Christ. The second point, F, F1 and F prime. God's plan has always been heart-centric. 
So by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so making peace. So as I was wrestling with this, I was like, okay, what is Paul saying here? By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, Paul is saying that the externals of who you are, what you were created in, and what you look like, going back up here to verse 11, the Gentiles, the flesh, the circumcision, what's made by flesh or in flesh by hands, all of that external is not what makes someone saved. Salvation comes through a heart, a making peace with God. God is our enemy because we are enemies of God, of his righteousness and his holiness. And so the gospel tells us that it is come to look at the heart. Deuteronomy 6 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Mark 12 says, love God and love others, for this is the whole of the law and the prophets. If you look at King Saul in the Old Testament, King Saul looked good. He was smart, he was wise, he was tall, he was rich, and yet God took him from the throne because he did not have a heart that honored him. If you look two generations later at King Solomon, King Solomon was the wisest man in all the world. You can aim in your life as young adults to be wise beyond your peers, but the epitaph on Solomon's life was his, wife turned his, his wives turned his heart toward other gods. And David, David we know had a great sin, but in Acts 13, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And so Paul is pointing out here that God is the one who makes this new, F prime, that God's plan has always been heart-centric. And so the gospel, as we look at this and try to see the gospel in this, the gospel is that God wants your heart, not merely your external trappings. He doesn't want your beautification. He doesn't want just behavioral modification. He wants your heart. And so part of your task and your charge throughout your life is to assess the quality of your heart. Lord, is my heart true to you? Is my heart submitted to you? Is my heart united with yours? E, E prime. Who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So that's the second half of verse 14. And the second, or uh, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Here we see the need of the gospel. There is a dividing wall of hostility. So again, as, as we look at this chiastic structure, the goal is to not just say, hey, we're making something up. Like, I, I don't want to read into scripture and just assume something clever. I want to see, is this really what, what Paul is saying? And, and I think there's, there's this parallel here between hostility and hostility, that he's made us both one and broken down in his flesh. He is reconciled. A reconciling is a bringing together of two. And so Paul is, is, is paralleling these points, and he's showing us that we have a need. And our need is that we are estranged, and thus we need to be reconciled to God that we need somebody to tear down the veil that separates us from the Holy One, 
so that we can be reconciled and united and so that the hostility or the enmity can be destroyed. When I talk to students, I, I teach at Liberty, I teach some online classes, and then my, my day job is to manage faculty. Uh, and sometimes in my classes, I'll ask students to, um, to, to just tell me the gospel, you know, just as a reminder. It's, it's easy to assume we know the gospel, but to not rehearse the gospel and thus forget the gospel. And, you know, and so I'll, I'll play kind of a, a conversational, uh, conversational game with students. I'll say, just tell me the gospel. And, and often I have students uh, say something that's, that's not fully well thought out, you know, and, and it reflects a, a lack of fluency in the, their vocabulary. And one girl once, I remember her saying, just try Jesus, you'll love him. And, you know, and I give her kudos for her, for her desire and her intent. But my response was, how do you try dying? Like, you either die or you don't die. And the call of the gospel is to die to yourself and be raised with Christ. And so you cannot try to die without dying. You either have to die or not die. And so you can't just try Christ and understand what he's given you. And so I, I tell students, remember that the good news of the gospel starts with bad news. Okay, so let's say that I generously am going to pay off your mortgage. How many of you that would be good news for? Shantons? <laughs> yep, okay, that's exactly what I expected. Okay, this table right here, any, is that good news to any of you that I'm going to pay off your mortgage? It's not good news because you do not have a mortgage. You would quickly go and buy a house and hope that I would <laughs> pay for your mortgage. Good news is often not good unless you understand the bad news. The bad news of who you are born in your trespasses, as Ephesians 2 earlier says, for, no, 2, uh, somewhere, Ephesians 2, you are children of wrath. That is the bad news, that you are enemies of God, that there is enmity between you and holiness because your flesh does not crave holiness. And so this is a reminder that we have something we need. We need reconciliation, and we need the death of hostility. We need the dividing wall that separates holiness from us to be torn down so that we can be made holy. D, verse 14, for he himself is our peace. D prime. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to you who were near. Jesus is our peace, and Jesus preached peace to those who were far off and those who were near. This is part of the good news of the gospel, that there's not a different preaching for Jews and Gentiles, that there's not a different preaching based on your color of your skin, based on the socioeconomic class that you come from, based on your class distinctions, based on your knowledge or your degrees, or your education, that Jesus preached the same thing to both and to all. And what did he preach? Jesus is our peace, and he preached peace. He preached himself to those who are willing to listen. We 
have the peace of God and the peace with God. But you cannot have peace of God without having peace with God. Because he tore down the dividing wall of hostility, we can have peace with God, and then as we have that peace with God, we can walk no matter what situations come because we know that ultimately our hope is grounded in something far bigger, far more beautiful, and far more forever than the temporary pains of what we have today. And so Jesus is our peace. So as we look at Ephesians 2 with this gospel lens, we see that God himself does it for us. God himself tells us what we need. He wants a heart transformation. God tears down the dividing wall. God reconciles us in the Son with himself. And then God, through Christ, preaches a peace that is not from ourselves. And see, but now... In Jesus or Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, for through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So again, looking at this structure, it helps us understand what Paul's saying. Like here in Christ Jesus and here through Christ Jesus, we have nearness and we have access. I mean, so there's there's symmetry there. We have nearness and we have access. Moses was a good old dude. I mean, he was a hero of the Old Testament, right? I mean, Moses was godly and righteous and respectable, and he was one of the supreme characters of the Old Testament. And when Moses wanted to see God, God said, you cannot see my face, for you shall not see me and live. And so the Lord hid him in the cleft of the rock. And he says, while my glory passes by, I will leave you in the cleft of the rock. This is in Exodus 33. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And so even Moses in his greatness had to hide in the cleft of the rock. He couldn't see God face to face. He was covered by God's hand, but he could see the back of his glory so that he wouldn't die. But we are in Christ Jesus. And Spurgeon makes a, a great analogy here. And he, he, I don't know if it's an analogy. He just makes a great statement here. But he's talking about the concentric circles that surrounded the tabernacle. You know, in the middle of the tabernacle is the holy of holies. And then outside is less holy, but still holy. And then outside is, is where the Jews congregated. And then outside is where they slept. And then outside is the lepers, outside of the city and outside the walls, the, the communal living there. And then out on the fringes of the rest of us Gentiles. So we, we were far away from God. And only one got to come into God's presence. And Spurgeon said, here is the wonder of wonders. When the eternal love of God had brought you so near, so gloriously near, it did not stop there. It did not content itself with making you a priest but it said, you shall stand in Christ Jesus. And beloved, you know what this means, that we are made as near Christ himself, who is the great high priest. With blood on his hands, he goes right into the veil, right up to the mercy seat, and talks with God. So the goodness of the gospel is that Jesus 
Jesus can walk right through all the way up to God himself, and because we have been placed in Christ, we get that nearness and that access. B, remember that you were. And then verse 19, so then you are no longer. You were separated, you were alienated, you were strangers, and you had no hope. So then you are no longer strangers. You are fellow citizens, and you are members of the household of God. This is, this is a great statement to remind ourselves of, to recognize who we are and what we have, where we were, and where we are now. As I was talking to my kids, you know, I, we spent a couple of days on this, and we talked about being separated and being alienated and having, you know, we, Virginia is a commonwealth. And so what is the commonwealth of, of Virginia? What is the commonwealth of Israel? They had, they had hope because they had covenants, but we did not have that covenant. Instead, we were strangers. We were aliens, but now we have been adopted into the family of God. My last point here is A. Your physical identity is no longer your true identity. And here we get more of a contrasting element rather than symmetrical element. So you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision. At one point, you were only or best identified by your physical attributes. Your physical attributes are, are what you carry with you. You were Gentiles or you were circumcised. You were wealthy or you were poor. You were from royal lineage or a class that was worthy or you weren't. And Paul reminds us that in him, we are being built together into a dwelling place by the Spirit. At one time, we, all those things were true, but now, no longer, when God created he created us as image bearers. And then he told us in the law not to make idols. And the reason he told us not to make idols is because he said, I have already made my image bearers and told my image bearers to go out into all of the world. I do not need you to make an image of me that is just of rock or wood. You are my image. And now Paul is saying, in him you are being built up into that image perfectedly unto a dwelling place for God, so that as you step out into the world, God is walking with you and claiming that territory as mine, as his. So this is the gospel according to Ephesians 2. To me, I, I was just really encouraged as I was studying yesterday because I know that I can read Scripture and approach Scripture and say, Lord, what is kind of the, the, the intellectual nugget here? What is something I don't know that I need to know? You know, what is something I, I don't understand that I need clarity on? And often when I do that, I, I treat the Bible as more of a textbook rather than a word from the Lord about His gracious love that I need remembering. And so that word remembering has become one that's really been important 
in my life over the past few years to remember the goodness of God. Now, how will you preach this truth to yourself? What truth here do you need to feast upon and shout to your heart until you believe that it is declaratively true? You know, Paul would say all of this is absolutely true. And it is absolutely true because God has said it is true. For those who are maybe skeptical or cynical or even just wrestling, often you will then say, well, just because God says it's true in the Bible, is that really true? And, and I think there's a grace in Genesis 1 that helps us understand this declaration. When God said in Genesis 1, let there be light, he declared that there would be light and there was light. When he declared that there would be stars and a sun and a moon, there was a star and there was sun and there was a moon. He declared this truth. And so we can look back and see that God declaring something to be absolutely true is something that we can rest upon our entire lives. So when he says that we are blessed with all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, going back to 1.3, we can recognize that that is absolutely true. So how do you preach this to your heart? Do you need to remind yourself of God's work and the work of salvation, like Luther did? Do you need to remind yourself of the transformation that God makes possible in Christ? Do you need to remember that your heart that lives out the gospel is your calling, rather than a life that just looks gospel-ish? Do you need to remember your identity or your nearness your position, your membership, or your citizenship. And I am going to close in prayer, and I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving break. Lord Jesus, I am honored to teach, and I pray that as I teach, these words would resonate. <coughs> Lord, I thank you for these students who are here and getting ready to enjoy respite and rest. I pray that you would give them that. But I, you would give them that manifested in your presence, in your grace, in your glory. And I pray that they would find that in the sitting and the enjoying of Jesus. And I pray that all of us this week, Lord, would be thankful for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And that we would remember actively and proactively and intentionally all of the ways and the things that you have done in Christ as you have blessed us in him. I pray this in your name. Amen. Four minutes early. Good job. Thank you. Thank you, Emma.
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.